Welcome to this South Australian Grain Industry Trust podcast, bringing you the latest in grains R&D. Faber beans, they're one of the most commonly planted crops in the southeast of South Australia. However, there are many competing thoughts on what nutrients and fertilisers should be applied to get the best results. A recent trial has focused on answering that once and for all. Integral to that has been Elders agronomist Adam Hancock. Adam, welcome to this Saget podcast. Thank you, Drew. Adam, tell me, how did this project come about? Yeah, sure. So, favour beans uh, in the last 10 years, you know, we've uh, had seasons where, according to my ag world, there's been more hectares of favour bean sown as a crop than any other crop that we grow down here. I think they're just such a fundamental crop to the southeast. They're a legume, we'll uh, take all the free nitrogen we can get. They provide a lot of options for ryegrass control, which is one of our biggest challenges. Um, there's been a lot of uh, advances in agronomy with favour beans over the last decade with plant breeding and farming systems and the yield gains that we've, that we've had from them. So Adam, clearly a really important crop. So what did the project involve? So this project's come about off the back of a lot of requests from growers to have a closer look at what responses we might get from what we could call less commonly applied fertilisers. So some examples would be calcium, magnesium, boron, molybdenum and and even potassium. We also wanted to have a look at uh, validating the tissue test response curbs, which is, you know, the evaluation tables, they're sort of the traffic light, as uh, growers call them on uh, your tissue test report, tells you what the chances are of getting a likely response from different fertilisers. You know, they always suggest that we should be using, for example, boron shows up a lot that were really low, so we wanted to put that to the test. Adam, there was a lot of different treatments and a lot of different fertilisers applied, though, I understand. Uh, yeah, so the project, which was sown and managed by Sardi, their Struan agronomy team in the southeast, we've had two identical trial sites. We put one up at Sherwood on clayed sand and then we had one at, at Francis. So we've we had a, 11 different treatments in last year's trial. Uh, this year, we've expanded it a bit. So we looked at... 11 nutrients and then we had an untreated and then a treatment that's received you know the full rates of all the other treatments so we've applied the the maximum rates that we could put out with all these fertilizers so economics weren't a consideration with the the 11 nutrients we've put them out as high as what we could whilst keeping everything in a balance and we've had multiple timings as well starting with a couple of months prior to setting with potassium as well as at sowing and then we had three foliar sprays so our aim was to get to the end of the year and whether we see a response from a nutrient or not we didn't want to be wondering whether or not we didn't put out enough or we put it out too soon or too late or not enough times you know so we've sort of got it all covered so uh the statistics for the australian grains industry uh they're the biometricians that are done uh, all the statistics and the trial was on and interpreted the results for us we're collecting a tissue test off of every single plot 
And we're also collecting a grain analysis off of every single plot so we can look a bit more at removal charts at the end of the season as well. Adam, it sounds like a fairly extensive project. What results did you come up with? So it is still ongoing at this point. The GRDC have picked up the project and we've expanded the treatments and the sites and the applications. But so far, we've actually found quite a few discrepancies, five or six, I believe, between the tissue tests telling us to expect a very high chance of getting a response from calcium, magnesium and boron and sulfur and we've actually not seen the responses that the tissue test is telling us that we should. The good thing is the soil tests, although you know soil testing is perhaps not the most appropriate tool for determining requirement for trace elements for example, but you know everything that the soil test told us to expect to see from fertiliser on the sites is what we've seen. So you know soil testing as a tool is, is uh, very well calibrated. But we have, uh, each site has had a few of its own unique responses, particularly from phosphorus and uh, manganese, sulphur, and uh, yeah, that information should be available once the project's finished up at the end of the year. Adam, what have you found out so far in regards to inoculation? We wanted to have a a closer look at the benefits from inoculating beyond um, just yield and biomass and a soil test at the end of the season to see how much more nitrogen is left behind. And when we did all those things... So, you know, at uh, one of the sites, there was actually no yield response from inoculating the beans. There was no biomass response and there was no response in the the grain protein. But the GRDC put out a good guide a few years ago called Managing Soil Organic Matter. Within that, there's a chapter that steps you through how to measure, you know, the impact of crop stubbles and organic residues and the effect that that has on your soil nitrogen supply. And so by measuring the stubble biomass after harvest and then measuring the carbon-nitrogen ratio of that stubble, you can sort of determine the amount of nitrogen that's going to be left behind by a favour bean crop as opposed to a wheat or a canola crop where there'll be a a nitrogen removal. So the favour beans that were uninoculated, they've ended up with a deficit amount of nitrogen left over once that stubble will break down over two to three years, which we call immobilisation. And where we inoculated, there was going to be nitrogen left behind. And the difference between the two treatments was about 30 kilos of nitrogen, the uninoculated being minus 13 kilos of N left behind. And the inoculated uh, plots leaving behind 18 kilos of nitrogen, you know, once that stubble is, has broken down. So, you know, even at urea at, at the old price of $800 a tonne, that's, that's still $50 to the hectare worth of nitrogen. Uh, Adam, what about nutrient removal? What have you found out in regards to that? So one of the um, things we want to have a look at as well, while we've got the opportunity, is just to look at grain nutrient removal from all the different fertiliser treatments and see if that's on par with a textbook nutrient removal chart. And we also uh, have had a lot of questions from growers about zinc, man, copper. It's just common practice now to apply a ZMC foliar replication over all of our crops, sometimes more than once. And uh, the responses vary across the paddock. They also vary from uh, year to year as well, even in paddocks that have responded to zinc man copper in the past they won't every single year and there was a few growers that were nervous about the cost and the time that goes into applying zinc man copper and where you perhaps don't see a response in yield from that year whether or not it increases the grain nutrient removal and so we're you know putting fertilizer out not getting a response removing extra fertilizer 
out the farm gate and achieving nothing for all that work. So far, it's actually shown that uh, the applications of zinc man copper we've been putting over the beans over no plots have increased the removal of either of those three elements. So it's just comforting to know that uh, these applications of ZMC we're putting out over the paddock. Worst case scenario, they're staying out in the paddock, they're in the stubble, they're going back into the system and building up those levels. We're not just removing excess amount of or removing a luxury amount of nutrients because we're putting it on. Adam, you mentioned the trials are ongoing under the GRDC. So what is next? Where to from here? So last year, the trial was funded by Saget, the two sites. Um, This year, GRDC have come on board so that we can run the project again because it's good to run trial sites twice. You want to see the same result twice. But we've also been able to expand the trials. We've got four sites in this year instead of two. So Sherwood, Francis, which is under irrigation, and uh, Wolseley and down at Millicent. We've also gone from 11 treatments to 12. We've included iron this time because it's down at Millicent. So now we have N, P, K, S, calcium, magnesium, zinc, man, copper, boron, moly, and iron. We've also been able to increase the rates of all the fertilizers as well without upsetting the the balance of the emissions trial and uh, we've been able to go from three applications up to four. Adam where are people going to be able to find out more about some of these results? Our aim is to put the results from the project onto the online farm trials website run by the GRDC and uh, hopefully we'll be able to release a couple of publications as well which will be a, a revised guidelines for diagnosing nutrient deficiencies in favour beans with tissue testing and also a revised grain nutrient removal chart. Adam, they sound like really valuable publications for great information which will benefit growers enormously but for now though Adam Hancock, agronomist with Elders, thank you for taking the time and joining us for this Saget podcast. Thanks, Drew. Thank you for listening to this South Australian Grain Industry Trust podcast. Saget invests around $1.8 million a year, supporting research crucial to advancing South Australia's $4.6 billion grain industry. These projects deliver real improvements in countless areas of grain growing, farming systems, soil management, harvesting, storage, processing and marketing, and they also provide technical information to growers. To find out more, visit saget.com.au.